Our Bible passage this evening is in 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel 24. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 255. But before we turn there, I know in our church we have some very good readers, young readers, like preteens, they like to read. If you've never read the book of 1 Samuel, it's a very exciting book. And we may have some adults here that maybe are not familiar with the book. 1 Samuel is a fascinating book. I mean, it's filled with drama, suspense, murder, loyalty, surprise, and even love. Different types of love in the book. It's all here in God's Word. It's a very exciting book. And before we get into our passage, just to catch us up where we are at chapter 24, we have to think about 1 Samuel as a transitional book. So what's happening in Israel's history before we come to 1 Samuel? We have the time of the judges, right? Every man does what is right in his own eyes. And basically we have tribes scattered across the promised land with no united king, no person leading them. And they're led by judges. And then we come to 1 Samuel, and we have Eli, who is a priest in the tabernacle in the wilderness. Unfortunately, he failed miserably in training up his sons to be priests. And yet, he was very instrumental in the raising up of Samuel, who would become a judge priest and a prophet. And you know the story if you're familiar with the book. The Jewish people, as they became more united, they wanted to be like the other nations. We want a king. We want a king. They didn't want to be ruled by God alone. We want to be like the other nations. And so the monarchy was established with Saul being the first king. And the people shouted, long live the king, long live the king. I remember meeting a woman from Jordan many years ago, and I mentioned the king of Jordan. She, she praised the king. So it's a very different world for Samuel than what we live in. The honor for a king was, was um, prized, and it still is. So although Saul was chosen to be the first king over all Israel, and he had a very humble beginning... It wasn't long before God rejected him because he turned his back from following the Lord. That's very clear as you read through the text. You can read that in chapter 13 and following. After the Lord rejected Saul as king, David was anointed king in chapter 16. And then we have a couple of verses here. So picture this. You have Saul is king, but he stopped following the Lord. He disobeyed the Lord. So... God tells Samuel to anoint David as king. So now you've got two kings in a monarchy, right? Chapter 16, 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And if that wasn't enough, in chapter 18, it says again, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. It's the narrator's way of saying the Lord was done with Saul and is going to begin a new reign with David. But it didn't happen overnight. This is 
like you don't get this when you read the text, but it's probably 10 to 15 years where you have two men that are king. And so this is where we are in chapter 24, verse 1. We'll read 1 through 7, and we'll focus in on verse 6. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Tonight, I'd like us to meditate on one truth from this passage, and it's, it's very simple. We must learn to trust God. We must learn to trust God in his works and in his timing. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been a Christian. You could be an older Christian like some of us here. You could be newly saved, a new Christian. It's a lesson that we must practice and learn until we cross the great divide. We must learn to trust God in his works and in his time. Saul is on the hunt for David. And this time, he takes his special forces with him. You see that there in verse 2. He took the uh, Delta Force. 3,000 chosen men, fine men, to hunt David. In God's divine sovereignty, Saul and his men end up in the same cave as David and his men. And David's men said to him, Here's a day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Verse 4. Sounds good, right? It even sounds quite biblical. Well, the problem is, God never told David to kill Saul. At least we don't have a record of that anywhere. It's important to note here that the judgment and removal of Saul had to be done by the Lord himself and in the Lord's timing. How patient are we while God is working? And God is always working. Do we trust God in the way he works and in the timing of his work? Or do we fret and murmur and complain, maybe even post on social media? You know, when Travis was going through First Peter chapter 2 this morning, about talking about being uh, unjustly treated and complaining, he, may, he said this, Surely we can do our jobs well without complaining, about our jobs or our bosses. I mean, we've never found ourselves in this situation that David is in, where someone's trying to literally kill you. Like you go against the king in a monarchy, you've got uh, red dots all over you. You are going to get it. God is God and he is always working. 
And he's working in ways we can't even fathom. It's kind of like we're playing checkers. And God is celestially, if you will, playing chess. Strategically making moves way in advance. I quit playing chess years ago. You know why? My 11-year-old son, Jonathan, would beat me in four moves. I would be so angry. I said, let's play again. And then finally my wife said, no more chess for you before bed. Uh, he, he's strategic, right? And that was just an 11-year-old boy. So think about God. He intricately works all things for his glory, irregardless of how I perceive it or if I see it or don't see it. God is God. We're not. He's always working, and his work is perfect in timing, which, by the way, is usually not our timing. I don't know about you, but, I mean, sometimes I I want things, Lord, give me the patience, I want it now, type thing, right? You may be wondering, well, when's this thing in our church going to get fixed? When is this person going to get fixed? We're impatient people. But know and understand that God is God. He's in total control. So like David here, we must be humble, patient servants of the Lord. So how do we do that? How do we get to be in that position? Well, we must know God personally, experientially. And we must know his word. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. And I love this church because we stand here week after week, unashamedly open up the Bible and just read what the Bible says and preach what the Bible says and try to make application to our lives. And the gospel is so glorious to think that a holy God would care enough to send not an angel, not an emissary. He sent his only begotten son. To die on a cross, not for his sins, but for our sins, your sins, and my sins. That's the type of God we serve. So you want to know him. If you have questions about that, talk to someone who brought you here tonight. Or we can talk afterwards. David knew his Bible. That's for sure. He recognized that it was the Lord who placed Saul into kingship. Notice this. So verse 6 is our verse tonight. David said to his men, The Lord, Yahweh, forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, small letter Lord, Adonai, my master. Think about it. David was called into Saul's service. He was Saul's armor bearer. Patrick did a nice job this morning in his prayer, in his reading of scripture, giving us some context there. He was a servant of Saul. He was called into Saul's ministry. He was ranked under Saul. And then he says about his Lord, his servant, his, his Lord. He says, he is the Lord's anointed. Think about it. He says, this is Yahweh's Messiah. And he says it twice. To put out my hand against him. Seeing he is Yahweh's Messiah. This is the Lord's anointed. Now the Lord's anointed means this is the man whom God has appointed to reign as king. And who was under the protection of the divine law. Deuteronomy 17 foresaw the time when Israel would have a king. 
And the law was written, Deuteronomy 17, that explains how a king is anointed by the Lord. So David trusted the Lord because he knew the Lord personally, and he delighted in God's word. He didn't take matters into his own hands. He waited on God for years, even though he was anointed to be king. And I'm sure David knew Deuteronomy 32:35, which says, Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. What drove David, what guided him, was his close relationship with the Lord. So David knew that the person over him, Saul, was allowed to be in that position, above him, because it was the Lord who allowed Saul to be king, in spite of Saul's wickedness and his unfair treatment of David. It's not easy to do, to wait on God's timing. Even after David becomes Israel's king, he still trusts in the sovereignty of God. There was a man uh, who came and cursed David after David became king. And uh, his commander-in-chief, David's commander-in-chief, Abishai, said, let me take his head off. And this is what David said. He said, let him be. Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. I mean, do we think that way? When we're treated unjustly, we get the short end of the stick. Do we, do we naturally say, you know what? This is the Lord's will. That's hard. But we need to think that way. We need to trust God in his works and in his timing. This attitude reminds me of Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome with evil, but instead overcome evil with good. Even Saul recognizes. Look at, with me in chapter 24 uh, in verse 17. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And then in verse 19 at the end, so may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. David was trusting in God and in God's timing. Now, Jesus, of course, was a perfect example of this. Peter tells us, we read that this morning, and Travis preached it. Chapter 2, verse 21 and following. For to, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was the seat found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile again. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, I'm at the time limit here for our Sunday evening service, but just a few points of application. I'm sure you could have already thought about some, but here's a few. Perhaps... As a married couple, you've waited so long to have a child. My wife and I, eight years we waited. Eight years before God blessed us with Benjamin. Those were long, hard years. But we have the ability now to look back and see how God used that time in our marriage and in our lives. And then God blessed our son with a beautiful Christian woman, and they had children right away. 
And so we have grandkids right away. Many, many blessings there. It's easier to look back than in the moment, right? But you have to endure. So you get to that point where you can look back. Don't give up. Don't give up. This church, we've been waiting for years to have a building. Like our own building, where we could put money into it and fix it up and do the things that we need to do. And it doesn't seem to be time just yet. You could have an active person serving the Lord, get sick, doesn't know what's going on, and no longer able to do ministry for several weeks, maybe longer. What are you doing, Lord? I don't know. You may be fortunate to have a job, but you've got a very challenging manager that that makes your job not enjoyable, to put it nicely. You're treated unfairly. Lord, should, should I put up with this? Should I seek another job? Lots of questions. And there's, the truth is, in many of these situations, we don't have the answers. We don't know. But we can trust God and in his timing. We must trust him in his timing. Be faithful. Serve him with a pure heart. Devote yourself to him. Submit to God. Don't listen to the voices in your own head filled with doubt and condemnation, judgment of others, or voices from the world where you're told you deserve better or more. Rather, listen to and cling to the many, many promises of God. God sees always. Nothing escapes past him. God works, even when we don't see him act, which is most of the time. God keeps his word, always. God's timing is perfect, and it's usually not our timing. He's worthy to be trusted in his acts and in his timing. Don't complain. Don't murmur. Believe him. Trust him in his word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Let's pray. Oh God, we need you each and every moment of our lives. Without you, we are hopeless, cast about the sea in overwhelming waves seeking to consume us. But with you giving us your spirit to guide and bless and direct, we have confidence in all that you are doing and all that you allow. Our hope is in you and you alone. Thank you, God, for being our Father for giving us your spirit, even as a guarantee that you'll keep us all the way to the end. Help us to endure suffering wrongly, unjustly, that Jesus may be exalted. And may we do this with joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.